Welcome to The Cleaning Podcast. Dedicated content to answer all of your cleaning how-tos with the industry's most knowledgeable experts. If you need to clean it, sanitize it, deodorize it, and or otherwise remove from it all unwanted matter, you're in the right room. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Cleaning Podcast. My host uh, today is the expert Brandon Vaughn, CEO of Automate Grow Cell, which hosts educational coaching programs, including the Conquer Group. Um, I believe their general mission overall is to help service business owners build systems, grow and automate your business, achieve your personal and business goals after you've identified them, of course, and help keep you accountable during that journey. Because let's face it, who doesn't need a face full of cold water every once in a while? Um, he was also owned a uh, cleaning company for seven years out of Portland, and he's an experienced marketing and sales professional. So I welcome Brandon to the cleaning podcast. Thank you so much, sir, for joining us today. Thank you, Joe. Man, you really know how to turn on the radio voice. It's like started out super sultry. I like it. <laughs> um, I, I want to get a kind of a backstory. Don't take all day, but um, kind of tell us what brought you into the cleaning world and what is your passion here? Well, what brought me into the cleaning world was my father. So my dad actually started All Clean back in 1978 as a owner opera window cleaner and that was my life growing up was a dad who washed windows full time with never more than typically one part time employee. And so uh, for many of those years, I was Mr. Part time employee. <laughs> so I started working full time at the age of 13. And my dad, I homeschooled through high school. My dad paid me like five cents a screen to wash screens. So I pretty much grew up in the cleaning business. And um, uh, it was awesome. It was an awesome education in uh, customer service and serving the clients and working hard and uh, attention to detail, which my dad was a master of very, very OCD about the finest details, which if you're looking at two transparent panes of glass for 33 years, trying to figure out which side of the glass the spot is, uh, trains you to have a great deal of attention to detail. So been around in my whole life. Yeah, that's good. And then what brought you into the marketing and sales aspect of it? Well, in 2012, my uh, dad was diagnosed with heart disease and was told that he couldn't work physically anymore. And it was kind of a, a punch to the gut for the business, for the family. He didn't have any savings or retirement set aside. Um, so, you know, I was doing something else at that point in time. And I uh, had had a little marketing business on the side, fell in love with, you know, marketing, had a corporate gig for a little while, fell in love with systems and spreadsheets and just kind of how a larger organization was ran. And so 2012, I bought the business from my dad and uh, had to grow the business because in order for him to be able to retire and for me to buy it and be able to afford, you know, a $3,000 a month payment when the business was doing $8,000 a month. Like I had to scale it. And so I learned really quickly that he who markets best wins. Uh, there were companies that were bigger than us that did worse quality work. And it kind of broke my brain. I didn't understand how that was possible until I realized that they're just great at marketing. And that's really kind of what it came 
down to. So if I can combine the excellent marketing skills with excellent quality service and systems, um, I could build something really special. And that kind of set me off on my entrepreneurial journey. And where's that business today? Well, the business grew from literally myself in 2012, one single employee, uh, to 70 employees by the time 2018. 70, 70. 70, yeah. So we were doing about 500K a month. And um, uh, actually was speaking at the huge convention uh, in New Orleans when I got unapproached. I got, I got approached by someone that completely um, unsolicited that said, hey, we'd like to take you out to lunch and talk about buying your business. We saw your, your presentation. Your business looks awesome. And we closed like two months later, three months later. So it was, wow. it was an unexpected exit, but it was, uh, it was amazing because I, I kind of was like, oh, my gosh, I could build these businesses and I could flip them. Like this could be a really cool career moving forward because it's really all the exact same model. It's the exact same systems and marketing approach for building any service business. And that's one of the things that I really learned that fired me up about it is the business system side of it is what gets me fired up about entrepreneurship, not just the act of cleaning something, which is great in and of itself. I have the same OCD tendency like my dad, um, but that's the part that really fascinated me. That's good. I Touching just on that journey and a couple key points, I think for the audience, um, the first one's just kind of uh, selfish, but uh, you were, you said you were homeschooled. And, yes. And I, I, I don't talk about it too much, but I mention it once in a while. We have six kids and, and we homeschool ourselves. Yeah. So, wow. Uh, awesome, man. Yeah. So did you go to college uh, after high school? No, I did not. So, uh, but I never stopped learning. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, put on my LinkedIn profile that I was autodidactic for many, many years because, um, you know, I never, never went to college, but never stopped learning, never stopped my education and the journey of homeschooling, I think actually prepared me for that because my parents had a very hands-off approach to my education in high school and, um, was very free form and encouraged me to just explore the things I was interested in and encouraged me to, uh, you know, if they're like, if I'd say, dad, how does this work? He'd be like, I don't know, take it apart and find out. And so I would, and it just kind of led me to, um, you know, being obsessed and, uh, you know, being a student of anything I could get my hands on. And it's, uh, it's paid off really well just by having that breadth of experience and the breadth of learning opportunities. Cause no matter where you look, there's a learning opportunity there if you're willing to see it. And, um, so we're homeschooling our kids now too. <laughs> So we're passing the, passing the torch down. <laughs> so, so, um, a traditional, as a homeschool parent, right. I can, I can see patterns of behavior in other homeschool parents. Cause you know, we've been through it and especially the ones who, um, who are in it for the actual educational journey and promise, as opposed to letting the system do it for you. Right. Um, and then of course, everyone's homeschooling now. Right. <laughs> Joke's the, on you. <laughs> yeah. And the parents are freaking out, right? Right. And, and occasionally I'll make a post or I'll talk with somebody and it'll be like, look, relax. You are not going to screw up your kid in a few months. It's just not possible. Yeah. You are a perfect example. Your father took a more unschooling approach to you. Yeah. Through high school. Yep. yep. Um, where it's basically like, look, let your interests lead you on a 
journey of self-education. I often say as a homeschool parent, my number one goal is to install intellectual curiosity. Mm, If I I can do that, if I can do that, I win. That's all. That's it. You're done. Because as a parent, if you leave your children with intellectual curiosity, they will continue to learn, which is extremely rare. Once people leave high school or university, they stop learning or picking up the book or they watch a dumbass YouTube videos and they think they're educated. Mm. Um, and, and that's just not the culture we build in our family. I, I'm probably obsessed with learning. You could, you know, my wife would certainly probably contest to that. Like <laughs> there are topics I'm not allowed to talk about. Like, <laughs> I just can't start rattling on quantum physics. Otherwise right. she'll just be mad because she can't participate. It's not fair to her. Uh, <laughs> it's just not, you know, it's just not a good environment. That's why I don't post about it too. And every once in a while I do and people get mad at me. <laughs> Weird. But, but um, I, so, so let me build this back, this arc. So, um, and you know, our, our kids are very similar. We have six, our two oldest are um, out of college and, you know, Ethan, I talk about Ethan, he actually codes for us. He's one of our best full stack engineers. He's the only one who can do everything except me. Um, and so, you know, I really rely on him. My oldest daughter, kind of similar story, but okay. So parents, first of all, settle down. You're not going to screw them up. Here are two examples sitting right in front of you of two individuals who did not go to college. Uh, Brandon ran a 12, you know, grew a $12 million service home service business. So um, not going to school, not studying the traditional way, not going to university, not a big deal. Yeah. So, um, so relax. And that's a serious, like really let it go. Let, let the teachers and the students in the schools do whatever they're going to do. Have your ch- child go through the motions if you're, if you're not going to go the homeschooling approach. But let it go. Just breathe it out and, and let it lie because everyone's in the same boat. And I guarantee you they're not going to be behind or ahead of anybody because of the program. They'll be behind or ahead on their own merits. So what are they doing on their own with their free time? Are they reading? Are they chasing intellectual pursuits? Are you having conversations with them that force them to use their brain and work things out? So, yeah, so, you know, I, I like that you I like that you mentioned that, Joe, because I, I one thing I appreciate about all the your you know listeners that are listening to this right now is you know we're all entrepreneurs, and we have this amazing gift to be able to pass on something that schools do not pass on, which is the gift of understanding entrepreneurship, business ownership, financial, uh, how to build budgets, how to improve your credit scores, like all the things that schools don't teach. You have and we have the gift of being, you know, of having that knowledge and kind of learning it through the school of hard knocks, just kind of through our own selves. But one thing that we like doing is we like paving in some of that curriculum of, you know, my, my daughter's reading consistency is the new currency right now. And she, you know, we, we do profit and loss training and she started up a little slime business that I'm, you know, probably sure is going to fail. But that's part of the lesson, too, is, you know, understanding how cogs work and overhead and supply and you know, and so there's there's a lot of really cool opportunities that you can mix into a homeschooling experience, and um, I, I think that's that's a pretty cool gift. So, not to rabbit hole too far down that, but man, I could virtually high five you right now because of talking about this. It's uh, it's a really cool topic. I love it. Wait, and the and the other thing too that I get is I'm dyslexic. Okay, so I have like straight up learning disability. 
but look at how badass I am. Like on the intellectual front, let's be real. But And and the only reason I say that is because I have lots of parents who are concerned about their kids because they're not doing well in school because they have a learning disability. Like I didn't do great in school. In sixth grade, my teacher, I got a D in English. My teacher said that's why they have dictionaries and secretaries. We didn't have computers at the time, so she didn't know about them or smartphones or the, or, uh, the fact that I have an editing team. <laughs> Mm. Like I type up what I want and then they make it sound less moronic. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so my, my point here is that not only are you not going to screw them up, but even with the kids that have more challenging positions, don't, as a parent, don't write them off. And, and what I mean by that is don't say, well, Johnny's looks like Johnny's got a learning disability. He was diagnosed. He's got dyslexia. He can't really read well. That makes sense why he can't spell. I guess he's just not going to be that guy in life. Mm-hmm. Like I was an athlete, right? Baseball player, football player. It would be so easy for, pe- for people who have pigeonholed me. Mm-hmm. Here's the difference though, guys. I don't stop learning. I was nowhere near as smart graduating high school as I am now. I was nowhere near smart last year than I am this year. Um, and that's those little bitty increment increases that we always talk about. Now, Brandon, how do we measure incremental increases? You know, it's funny because uh, when we were kind of talking about, um, you know, putting together dashboards and putting together KPIs and things for the business, it's so cool that our conversations kind of naturally drifted towards entrepreneurship and teaching kids entrepreneurship because we have dashboards for our kids and KPIs and core values of level up. Like level up is one of our core values. That's amazing. And, you know, anytime that anytime we get together and our kids are doing something, we're always like questioning them. Hey, is that leveling you up right now? You watching that Minecraft video? Is it leveling you up? Is it, uh, you know, if you're you're getting lost on the electronic devices. So um, and we did the same thing inside of my service business as well. And one thing I've kind of found out about fantastic business owners is they also typically tend to be um, really good, um, well, I should take that back. Good leaders in service businesses have a tendency to be good leaders at home as well. And because there's a lot of similarities and really it doesn't have to do with anything other than just human nature. Humans crave consistency. They crave knowing where the benchmark is, where the standard is. Your kids crave it. Your employees crave it. And there's a great sense of personal fulfillment when you help your kids level up or your employees level up. So one of the things we did as kind of our own company culture was we would sit down with people and we would say, you know, hey, what what kind of dreams and goals and aspirations do you want to have in your career, in your personal life? Like, where where do you want to be? And then we would find a way to tie those personal dreams and goals to business KPIs and metrics that would clearly identify like, look, if we can be here, then this affords us to be able to do this, which can in turn help you achieve this dream and this goal that you have over here. And, um, you know, being really transparent with the company's financials and the vision and the mission and your core values, um, you know, really goes a long way. So I'd say, you know, one of the first benchmarks you should have is your ethical and core value compass in your company. You know, have that front and center everywhere on all your walls and your team meetings and everywhere else so that that way everyone knows you know, that you're playing anything you do in this business, you're playing to achieve that true, you know, North, North star or that, you know, that your true center. I'm, I'm, I'm 
got a little bit of uh, Simon Sinek vibes going on here, <laughs> right? I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek, so I wouldn't doubt it if uh, if you got some uh, some echoing of Simon Sinek in this. For Definitely sure. in his book, Find Your Why, or uh, mm-hmm. is it Find Your Why? Start with Why. Start with Why. Yeah. Awesome. And then book. he's got his uh, you know, his uh, golden rings. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes. Go check that out. Go read that book if you haven't read it already. It's a great read. Um, it's not difficult at all. Uh, they have it on Audible as well. Um, but yeah, uh, we we do something similar. We're very open. We talk about KPIs. Our books are open. We have a um, kind of a modification on a um, employee management program we call Catalytic Coaching. Hmm. Actually, we don't call it that. That's the system it's called. So you can type that in your Google box and bring that up. But it's very similar. You sit down with the employee, say, hey, you know, what are your goals, personal business? What are the, what do we as, as the uh, executives in the company see your goals as in your position? And then, you know, we meet once in a while and we kind of line those up. Um, not as good during COVID, I would say, but we've had way more communication with our employees overall, given the virtualization of what we've done. So I would say that, you know, Justin's listened to this as our um, host here in the podcast when running this tool and he's one person that i don't talk to very often i try to reach out every once in a while he's like i'm fine i'm fine like all right and he produces great content so i kind of leave it at that but (laughs) but no catalytic coaching is a big deal for us uh you know we want to help people we've created entrepreneurs within our business so people who have you know marketing is a good example uh you know artistry like we've got a digital artist who came through and you know now he's doing his own own thing as well so um, I agree with that. And, and of course, that comes with KPIs, key performance indicators. It comes with tracking and measuring things. Um, Calvin, for which the Calvin scale was named, said, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you quantify anything if you mm-hmm. don't know what it was before, during, or after? And you can't trace down the specific variables which modified the wave function. So whenever you're looking at that data to drive your results, yeah, gut feeling is good. Gut feeling will get you so far. But if it's not backed up by data, then you're going to be making the wrong choices sometimes. And that's just all there is to it. So so what KPIs, Brandon, do you guys coach? Like, we'll mix it up here. I'll pick five. You pick five. Like, give me your, and you've already given us one. So is that one of your main ones, like tracking (laughs) your employees? Revenue uh, work on their goals. Yeah, um, yeah. So definitely, that's you know that that is one thing that uh, you know you can start aligning with it. But what, one of the first things that we would do um, was educate all of our employees on how to read a profit and loss. So we would sit down for you know one of our team meetings and we would tell everybody, um, you know, hey, look. I'm going to teach you, we're going to teach you today how to read one of the most important documents in the business world. You can go to any company in the entire world. You can go to a factory in China and read this document, have a good understanding on how healthy the company is, cash flow wise and profit wise. And we hand out example profit and losses to everybody. And we go through them line item by line item. And we talk about, you know, where those funds are, the top line revenue and what the what makes up COGS and and what the budget is for technician pay. And we would talk about the supplies and the marketing spend and all the stuff. And then down at the net profit, I, you know, say, 
you know, this net profit line, what does this represent? They're like, that's how much you get paid. And I'm like, not even because we, you know, this, all of our trucks and our equipment and our uh, capital assets and, you know, capital expenditures, these all come out of here. Um, you know, so that's not even what, what I take home uh, per se out of that part of it. You know, a, a lot of it gets reinvested back into the company that's through right. you know, those types of assets um, is really eye opening for everybody. And so one of the KPIs that we would regularly track was our COGS. Mm -hmm. And so Which, break it down, COG, cost of COGS, goods sold. Yep. Cost of goods sold. It's also called cost of services, COS. You can use them interchangeably. Um, but typically, you know, this is um, your technician labor, your chemicals, your supplies, um, you know, your your small tools, depreciation. Uh, subcontractors. Um, you know, basically what, what I tell people is if you're, if you're a baker, it would be the cost of all your ingredients to make your, you know, your, your, your cupcakes, um, you know, the milk and the eggs and those ingredients, and then the labor of the, the baker to actually make it right. And the depreciation on the oven. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that, that can be further down below, um, on the profit small numbers for a service business. So they're not always included. You know, if you take your truck mount or you take your mop or you take your bucket and squeegee and divide that by the number of jobs you get out of that stuff, or you amateurize it over X number of years, because as the government says, you can expense it out as, unless you're, what is it? 180, not 187. That's not the right code. Uh, I can't remember the, the itemization code that allows us to expend out a depreciation immediately as opposed to a period of time. You know, most people ignore it. Um, I like it only because, you know, in order to get a true idea of your margins, what your margins really are, that COGS needs to be dialed in. And it does. Like, yeah. Yeah. And so and so when we, you know, when we teach all of our employees how to do this, um, there's some ways we can say, hey, look, what we can pay technicians is pretty well fixed. But look, if we start optimizing our end of day checklists and make sure that we don't get all the way out to a job site and realize we forgot soap back at the office or, you know, forget that pole on the job site and got to drive all the way back there. If we can start optimizing our fuel and our supplies and do our inventory checks every single week to make sure that we don't lose any equipment and we're, you know, always on top of our game and we can do those five arounds at all of those jobs, that's going to lower our marketing expense. And you help connect all of these dots and then we would put our COGS percentage as a percentage up on our actual dashboards inside of our company to show how profitable we were with that component of it. And our operations manager, our production manager, that would be the number that he would own. And he would actually get bonuses and incentives based upon that COGS percent. So, um, you know, we'd have various profit sharing programs that we do as far as performance bonuses for our technicians, but we would also give a performance bonus to our operations manager based on that COGS percentage. The, the part that really bums me out is most service business owners are not looking at their COGS whatsoever. They're yeah, not tracking them on a regular basis. They don't understand what it costs to make a hundred bucks in window cleaning or carpet cleaning or maid service, what that, you know, fixed uh, or rather variable cost is right there of, you know, of those services. And um, so I, uh, you know, that's one of the things that we make sure that the business owner is taking a look at on a monthly basis and seeing how healthy are we is, you know, what's monthly, 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 monthly yeah. daily, <laughs> yeah. hourly. Monthly. No, I, I have no. a dashboard on my phone that I live on. 
<laughs> well, I'm not saying you don't keep track of KPIs on, you know, some KPIs on a, on a sure. daily or monthly basis, but your bookkeeper is only going to reconcile and audit things, That's you, true. Know, <laughs> you know, once a month and have it be finalized, get the bank statements and everything. So the numbers can fluctuate. If you look at it too often, you'll be depressed every day because you'll be like, our cogs are, are 80%. What in the world? Oh, that's right. It's because we bought a whole bunch of soap yesterday. Oh that's my right. gosh, our cogs are this. So if you look at it too often, you can get in panic mode. So I, I typically recommend, you know, once a month for the cog side of things. Sure. But, that makes uh, sense. That, that's like an executive KPI that, that I'd recommend. Um, you want me to keep going through some other ones that well, I like? Let me, let me tie one in. Yeah. Um, because uh, I, what I like on the, no, it's not cogs, um, but it's definitely overall costs and really understanding the effect of repeat business and the effect of your marketing efforts is your cost per lead and your yeah. cost per client. Yeah. Um, so your cost per lead, and you had a good post today on the um, Automate Grow Cell Forum about an expense, like, you know, I have this tool or I hired a third party. Does that go under um, services, you know, professional services, or does that go under marketing? And my answer is, man, everything that touches marketing goes in the marketing bucket. Hmm. Um, so your tools, your professional services, your ad spend, your, your labor, whether you have internal creatives like we do, um, all of that stuff goes in the bucket of marketing. And then you have that X amount of expense that month. And then you are counting how many leads you brought in and what the quality of those leads are. Um, and you're comparing them against your expenses. Now, most people will find if they, um, if they're really looking at national averages are widely varied. The standard deviation here is pretty broad, but if you're paying anywhere around $50 a lead, you're doing pretty good. Um, the closer you are under that 45, 35, 25, if you're really, really flexing, we're at $11 right now. <laughs> flexing much? Just throwing that out there. <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a transient for us. Our typical um, 17 years overall is somewhere around 25 to $35, depending on, you know, the market and who's gaming. Because when we... And oh eight, you know, uh, pay per click was twenty five cents a click for us, and that same click today cost us four twenty five. Right, right, and so obviously, and we're seeing things like that in Facebook; those costs are increasing and so forth. But, um, but yeah, if you can get under fifty bucks, you're doing pretty good. Once you then calculate out to your cost per client, because you know you're not going to close everybody, and uh, you know if your close ratio is sixty seventy percent, you're doing pretty good. If it's higher than 80 or 90%, I'd, you know, kind of question if your pricing's right, mm -hmm. you know, you might be losing Raise too much. Prices, baby. That's right. That's another thing we can talk about all day long is pricing. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, let's say your close rate somewhere around 70%. Uh, and then you're looking at that cost per client, that's going to be 80 to 120 bucks. <clears throat> and if your average ticket's 125 guys or one fit or 250 mm -hmm. or 300, that upfront cost is a big ass chunk of your first job you do for that client. Mm -hmm. The second job you do for that client, would you throw a buck at them to stay in front of them? If you're doing it right through a client retention strategy, 
which you should be doing, which you don't do very often, but you should be doing. Mm-hmm. And, and when you spend those couple bucks and then you do that second job, that upfront cost that you had that first job is gone. It's evaporated. It doesn't exist. So that's an additional 80 bucks or 120 bucks, whatever it is, in your pocket. So knowing those two numbers gives you real incentive to capitalize on your current clients and make sure you've got a cost-effective client retention strategy that keeps um, your clients coming back to you. So the same thing with COGS, right? So it's just another component of your revenue stream and paying attention to your profit loss and where do those expenses get categorized. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and especially, you know, we're talking about being a professional marketer. Um, these are numbers you got to know. You got to know how much it costs you to get those new customers, how much it costs you to, you know, how much would you pay for a brand new shiny customer? What's your lifetime value of those clients? You know, how long will you keep them for? Um, it's it's amazing because, you know, I've, I've had an opportunity to look at some VC-backed companies that kind of follow, you know, the, the Harvard startup curve mm-hmm. and what they pay for a new customer is mind boggling. I'm like, what? You can afford to pay that much? And they're like, oh yeah, we're not going to make a profit for years. But this is, you know, they're all banking it upon that lifetime value. And so, you know, these companies that scale very quickly, uh, they may have thinner margins, um, you know, on the way up, but the lifetime value comes back in, especially if you, you know, capture those mechanisms for retaining them pretty well. So I like that point you brought up about the follow-up touches and making sure you're staying in front of mind of your customers to capitalize on that. Yeah, I mean, repeat rate's a big one, um, you know, and so certainly Service Monster, it's something that we show in various ways really in front of the user's face because that's your only way to scale. That's the only way you get out of a stuck business with 250000 a year to a business where you're doing 12 million and you live this part of your education was watching your dad as a self-employed business owner and never getting out of that rut. And then when something bad happened, then it was a hardship on the family. And I see this story a thousand times it's, and if you want to be self-employed and you're not, you know, you don't want to build a a $10 million business. That's cool. Like I freaking awesome. Like if you're, but what happens when you break your hip or you get pneumonia or you can't work for whatever reason? You better have had set up good systems and process policies, customers, client acquisition, savings, so that your business doesn't affect your life when something like that happens. So that's the big thing you got to watch out for. Now, obviously, uh, repeat rates a big deal for service providers. As a software company, we track the opposite. It's called churn. So we don't track the clients we keep. We keep a diehard eyeball on how many we're losing. Right. Uh, and so that's why our margin, you know, our, our um, you know, our, our repeat rate is like, what, 88%. Um, you know, so we have a 12% yearly churn, which is healthy churn. We're actually below what most VC companies would consider healthy churn because there's certain clients you don't want. And there's a whole other conversation around firing clients and, and, um, and you're dealing with a lot of entrepreneurial ADDs and they see shiny object syndrome and they say, that's going to be the thing that fixes my business when it isn't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the basics fix your business, right? I mean, if that's you can right. do the basic, answer the phone, show up on time, look clean and yeah. pretty, understand what you're doing, educate your client. It's the service provider's motto. motto. If you do that, you're already ahead of the game. So there's an expression where they say that grass is green on the other side. No, the grass is greener where you water it. <laughs> That's right. And where you just decide to kind of, you know, make the make the stick. 
So where are we going next, Brandon? What What's the next KPI we want to pay attention to? Well, I wouldn't mind um, jumping over to some production KPIs, and maybe I could share a few of those. Um, these were ones that, uh, you know, we were talking about transparency to the team. Um, one of the ones that we did that actually uh, you and I talked about and you graciously implemented into Service Monster like it. crazy fast <laughs> – um, which is, uh, you know, capacity, a capacity number. And capacity to me is probably one of the most important KPIs for a service business because um, as everyone knows, production and sales are, you know, inexorably tied together. Like you can't separate the two. It's literally a teeter-totter and they're, they're never going to disconnect. So on one side, you may have, you know, um, tons of sales and not enough people. And then you have tons of people and not enough sales. And it's just like, yeah, it just goes back and forth, back and forth. And the capacity metric is a way to be able to gauge, is that teeter-totter staying pretty well balanced? Are we, you know, pretty well balanced? Do we have uh, you know, do we have a lofty sales goal for next month that we aren't going to be able to hit because we don't have enough trucks on the road? We don't have enough openings on our schedule. And so we actually used to manually calculate this KPI. And the way that we manually calculated, I had my office team do this every single week. They would go through and they would count up the open spots on our calendar from today to the end of the month. And they would go through and they would figure out, okay, how many openings do we have on our schedule? And they would get like, okay, we have 150 man hours uh, on our schedule that's open for the rest of the month that we could potentially schedule jobs and book in, you know, revenue generating jobs on those slots. So I would take that 150 man hours I'd multiply it times our, you know, man hour rate. Let's say it was a hundred. So we had $15,000 worth of potential openings on our schedule. Every day that went by, that capacity disappeared if, if there is a hole on that schedule. Like I'm never getting that back. So I would train my office staff that we have this big, gigantic red line that eats up all of our openings. And we have to like Tetris and make sure that all these openings are filled in before that big line crosses it. Otherwise we lose the game of profit. (laughs) And so that was this capacity metric was, what is our capacity for the rest of the month to be able to fit in more jobs? And the cool thing was, is that, you know, Joe plug to you, I mentioned this to you. And I was like, dude, this is like one of our my absolute favorite, um, you know, KPI metrics. And Joe, like ninja developer here, it's like, I, I, I can virtually hear his keyboard clack and he's like, so it's like this, so like that. And then I don't know what it was, 30 minutes later, I don't know. You like sent me this screenshot, like something like this. I was like, yes, that's exactly what I'm looking for. So as far as I know, Service Monster is the only CRM that actually tracks that capacity uh, KPI. And um, it's a game changer when you take a look at it because it it gives you instantaneous feedback as, as an executive to say, are we going to be able to hit that sales goal that we have for this month? Or do we need to get another truck, hire more staff to be able to open up more capacity to be able to hit those numbers? And that was a number I looked at every single day. Uh, we'd have our team literally go in every single day and update that capacity number to find out you know, how we were trending and where we're going to hit those targets. And uh, it was a game changer for us. So that's one of my favorite KPIs. You know, and it turns out to be one of my favorite in Service Monster now, too. Um, And I showed you the screenshot because I kind of wanted to make sure I understood where you were headed. But obviously, I didn't have the analytics behind it in that 
time period, right? It, it was like an hour or something. <laughs> and um, it was mythical status. That's all I'm going to say, Joe. I'll well, just... I, you know, the, the hard part was in the, the back end algorithm, which, you yeah, know, still only took me two days. And then I had that in there and man alive, customers love it. And everybody who's in the Conquer group um, who showed up and logged into the 6.5.1 that had it in went, oh my God, I don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that was really cool. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's, there's a little bit of AI in there in order to figure out what you make per hour. We look at your total job history and, you know, we separate commercial versus residential and we're, you know, we're, we're dialing those numbers in. The more you use it, the more data you get in, the more accurate it's going to be, but it will track for you. It shows you last month, what you left on the table and what you took home. It shows you this month, red, white, and blue. Red means it's gone. Blue means you've booked it. And white means it's still available to be booked. So you've got that stuff. And we track that dollar amount that you've got left for capacity. And then we show you next month, blue and white. How many have you booked? And then, of course, because it's next month, it's all still available. So that was just That's a very awesome. interesting collaborative effort between <laughs> the two was. of us. And you have a little banner on there, right? That has a hot link directly to the Conquer page. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Conquer capacity know, metric. But, you, but I, you're in the marketplace though. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was really cool to see that come out. And it's, um, you know, for anyone that's listening to this, if you are like, wait, what, what's that? What, what's capacity again? Um, feel free to hit me up on Facebook and I'll, I'll send you a little video clip that I have where we kind of teach our conquerors how to, you know, track that and put it together and why it's so important. Uh, it's a game changer if you're, especially if you're on a growth, a growth vertical, because too many people just pick a number out of the thin air that says, I want to 2X next year. Yeah. And then they don't sit down to actually reverse engineer and say, well, crap, that means I got to get two more trucks. I got to get an office person. I got to get a salesperson to manage the leads. I got to increase my budget. I got to increase all these other things. So I'm a big fan of reverse engineering goals before you actually set them because then you're way more likely to hit them. Yeah, agreed. And uh, yeah, we'll um, have Michael leave your contact information in the show notes. So Sweet. anybody who uh, wants to hit you up can do that for that information. Um, let's see, what do I got related to that? Um, most of mine's marketing and sales related, but uh, margins, obviously, we've talked about COGS and, and understanding your labor costs and how much goes into a job and how much money you're making. Because you're right, I, you know, you said it before, there's a lot of people who really don't know what they're making. And if, and if all you're doing is self-employment and you're taking money out of the morning's till to go buy lunch... You're doing it wrong. And there are thousands of businesses that are doing this in the service industry. And it's sad because you're really cutting yourself short. You're not investing, reinvesting your, uh, your potential and you're not, you're not set up for success. All you're doing is set up for your day to day. Um, and that does not lend itself to emergencies and problems and COVID and, you know, broken necks and all. I guess if you have a broken neck, you got bigger problems than your but, <laughs> but hey, <laughs> wrong body you, you got to make sure you don't have a bus factor of one because if you break your neck, you're in trouble. <laughs> you're done, yeah. Well, you know, and that's like a couple of years ago. I took a vacation to start re uh, rebuilding and renovating my house. Turned out to be a huge mistake. Don't do it on your own. Um, and, I, and I used to be a carpenter, so that just wasn't good. Uh, that two DIY weeks off. Trap, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> two weeks off. And then guess what happened? I got pneumonia which oh. I had cancer in 2000, pneumonia was worse. And oh, so dang. I was out of work total of like almost six weeks. 
Wow. But everybody in the office are rock stars. We build an amazing team. They don't need me. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like they don't need me getting in the way. Like, <laughs> That's right. You know? Come in and throw the, the systems grenade in there every once in a while to mix things up. <laughs> yeah, totally. Change things around. Invent a new show that you're going to do in December or something weird. Right. <laughs> But um, but yes, yeah. Uh, so if you understand your margins, then you can avoid a pitfall because I see this happen a lot before people settle into self-employment who are typically people who used to want to grow, but now don't for whatever reason. Um, so be, when they were a young person with the starry eyed, I'm going to grow. Um, when you scale, you scale your problems. Mm -hmm. And if you're losing $5 a job, all things considered, and when you do 5,000 of those, you're going to lose $25,000 and you're going to go, what? <laughs> and it's not going to make any sense. So, right. um, and that's why you need, you know, if you don't, if you're fuzzy on this stuff, margins, cogs, repeat rate, systemization, processes, capacity. If we're saying this and you go, yeah, I really need to know that. But, you know, I didn't go to school for business and I get what you're kind of saying, but I don't know how to do it practically. Get a coach, get somebody who has done what you seek to do and learn from them. This is not the same as learning from some random person on Facebook who you think has a successful service business, because most of those guys aren't where you think they would be based off their um, posturing. Mm -hmm. I know what they make. <laughs> I don't, I, they don't tell me over beer at the bar. I have their data. <laughs> so no one can bullshit me. And so, and so that, that gives it a lot of um, freedom for me to come at and go, yeah, okay, really, let's fix this. Like you stop telling me everything's fine. Cause I know it's not fine. Um, now service monsters and coach, but Brandon's group has some amazing coaches and so I would encourage you to check that out. But there's coaches in every industry. There's a lot of charlatans in the coaching arena, though. So I want you to be careful, right? Brandon takes a data approach that I can appreciate because that proves the value. When somebody doesn't want to do A-B comparisons by how they're moving the needle in your company using KPIs before and after the fact or during the fact, run away because they're not willing to show you the impact they're making. This is happens a lot in SEO and marketing where they'll say, yeah, give me four grand for each keyword. And then you're, you're tracking your cost per client, your cost per lead. And then you start employing this company and yeah, you get more leads, slightly more leads, but your cost per leads go through the roof and your cost per client goes through the roof. And if you're not paying attention to that, all you see is my leads number went up. You could be all excited about it for a, not a great reason. Uh, not only that, but what are the quality of those leads and what's the close rate of those leads? And if you don't, if you're not tracking all that, then you can be in trouble. So on one hand, I say, get coaching if you need help. On the other hand, I say, be very leery. There's sharks in them, their waters. Um, and so I know that Brandon and his team are really stand up people. He's one of the only coaches that I do recommend. Uh, and Appreciate so you want to check that out. By the way, um, thank you, first of all. And uh, next month in October, because I realized that there's a major problem. In fact, when we've done polls with, um, you know, tens of thousands of service business owners and the top two things 
Number one is employees, understanding yeah. how to figure out employees, deal with them, motivate them. They don't want to work. All those millennials <laughs> are lazy. The second thing is uh, financial understanding and having financial mastery, putting together a budget. So October, we're actually going to be putting together um, a free workshop that's going to be the, the entire month of October. And it's going to be come along with us and we're going to do profit and loss training. We're going to do, um, you know, set all your high level goals for 2021, put together your budgets, execute on it. And it's going to be like one big, massive group uh, workshop that we're going to be doing. So um, if you're interested in that, um, you can join our, our Facebook group, The Growth Vault, and we're going to be posting more information in there. But um, I'm excited because people need this people need to understand their finances and um, then they need to have someone hold them accountable to actually hitting their targets and the things they plan but financial plan and a budget you just don't teach this in school I mean this goes comes full circle Joe all the way back around to you know to not not they don't teach I'd be happy if they taught formal logic and just start there but they don't do that either <laughs> formal logic oh man yeah so it's it's uh I'm excited it's gonna be a it's gonna be a cool workshop so come come join us in that if you want yeah very good you got another one for us yeah, so um, I'll kind of stay with the theme of uh, the production side of things. Um, I, I'm a big fan of tracking fixits and callbacks and have that be a, a KPI for your team, for also your operations and production manager. Um, any customer that has any kind of a problem, any kind of a complaint, track this KPI per technician. It, and there's lots of different ways that you can do this. They're um, called a rework in Service Monster. Reworks, fixits, rework callbacks. Yep. Um, if you, if you can, uh, track that KPI and look at it and on a report by technician, um, it's extremely valuable because, you know, when you're doing those performance reviews, which you should be doing regular scheduled performance reviews with every single one of your employees, always, um, when you're doing those, you can use those KPI metrics to be able to sit down and give actual feedback rather than just gut. You know, and um, and we we actually I, I'm a big fan of putting them on your big flat screen TVs and dashboards in your offices so that everyone sees where they're at, because nothing is better pressure than social pressure of seeing yourself and how you stack up on a board with pure data. As soon as we started showing these KPIs up on the dashboard, like some of our worst offenders instantly became some of the best performers just by having the recognition of being at the top of the, you know, top of the list. So um, track those. Uh, anybody question the data? It's fake data, Brandon. Does anyone question it? Of course, they always question. Everyone's always going to question it somehow. But you know, the, the way that we do it is we uh, start always with why we talk about why we're doing it. It's not as a gotcha. It's because of one of our core values of over deliver, you know, hook, humility, optimism, uh, over deliver and kindness. So that uh, over deliver value that we have. Uh, we would always, you know, that would be part of our metrics to find out if we're actually over delivering. If we're over delivering, we don't get fixits and callbacks, period. We just don't. Um, so we start with a why and then we show them how we're collecting the data. You know, so like in Service Monster, here's the reports that we're running. We click a button, it's going to spit it out. Here's where all of these are. And then we put them into this, you know, sheet that everyone has access to and can check out. Um, so, yeah, works great. That's great. Yeah, employee accountability, um, it's a big deal. I feel goes hand in hand with building a great culture 
because rock stars like to be recognized for the work that they do. And they like it when those who aren't doing the work are recognized for the work they're not doing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, rock stars Equity. like to work with rock stars. That's equitable. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I, um, I talk about not building a company off your employee, off your grandfather's employee manual mm -hmm. and how, um, especially, you know, 20, 30 years ago, working for a company was just choosing which authoritarian regime you wanted to live under. <laughs> right. Right. And, and working and, for the same company for 40 years was a badge of honor too. That's right. That's right. Oh, I mean, we've got tenure of like eight years in our company too. So that's fantastic. Oh, it is that's pretty really good. good. We feel pretty good about that. But then, you know, every once in a while, someone decides oh, it's been 10 years, I got to do something else. And we're like, awesome. Right. And then we look at those opportunities as upgrade potential to, to That's really right. upgrade the chair. That's right. Um, but um, I, I, you know, I just feel it's important that you move away from an authoritarian regime. But if you're going to do it right, you've got to have accountability. So it's a dichotomy. I talk about dichotomy of leadership all the time, where it, you have both accountability and freedom where you're giving them empathy and sympathy, but yet at the same time, you've got a business to run. Mm -hmm. And so you can take a rock star and they can stumble and you can coach them and you can help them and you can encourage them. And you can take someone who's intentionally not being part of the team and get rid of them. You know, establishing this ability to get good at hiring people, people, don't say like it's like no, you're mixing up all you're saying empathy but fire fast count racing and like yeah that you've got to get in your head and time and your people have you treat them like grown-ups professional start guys you get rid of the people who don't and you're everybody's accountable to a standard a metric a kpi uh, and something that they can't fake news off either right like brenda just doesn't like me and so she's making up reworks in the system like it's not a point yeah. we're in. That's just not. And if and if that's the attitude that you're going to have, you can go have that attitude in another company. That's the truth right there. Because I've been on both ends of the spectrum of leadership. One where I was super like, what's up, dude? What's up, bro? How you guys doing? How's your weekend? You know, <laughs> when I was first getting started, super nice to everybody. And like, this is what company culture is. You know, people think company culture is beanbag chairs and Google, you know, ro rollerblading around the shop. And and uh, it's not that at all. And really, as I became a little bit more of a seasoned, you know, leader and CEO, um, I started to settle in a little bit more to, you know, consistency. That's really what they crave. They crave consistency. So if you have policies, you're kind of like the kids, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You have policies, you you enforce them to everyone equally, and every time you notice it, you run towards the problems, you're a buffalo, run towards the storms. Oh, geese in the buffalo. Yeah. So it's just, you know, it's a it's a it's a major, a major thing to just be consistent. And um KPIs and dashboards and those, you know, those things, it's it's a way to uh, you know, put it right in front of their face. This is, this is what it is. This is the standard and you're either passing it or you're not passing it. So I have a challenge to that a little bit, just a point of clarification. Service business owners tend to get stuck in a rut. Uh, and we, as people who can consume 
their work at scale, right? By, by thousands, we can see different business owners doing different things and we can see, you know, over time really what works and what doesn't. But you said that <clears throat> um, consistency, I, I want to formulate this right. Consistency on one front to one person means doing the same thing day in and day out. But in an environment where you have to be dynamic, adaptive, push the ball forward, you're going to be going through a lot of changes and your business continues to change and evolve. You can't be static. So touch on the differences for these business owners that would get stuck in static, the difference between static and consistent. Yeah, that's a great clarifying point. So consistency is when you have policies, you're looking for compliance and you're looking for compliance. Too, too often what will happen is people, will pr they'll promote their, their quote unquote best employee, their best technician into a management position because they get the most amount of production done in a given day. And when in reality, this is the wrong way to do it. Too many people will promote that person and find out that that person is great because they're a lone gunslinger. They have no idea how to you know, talk to other people. They don't work well with other people. They don't inspire other people. They don't know how to manage other people. Or so what I typically look for is, you know, who's the most compliant, who consistently delivers those consistent results. And so the consistency part for business owners is for uniforms. If you're the kind of person that has, you know, company uniforms and you have a specific company image, you have to be consistent about when people are coming in, that, that standard doesn't change. And when you have policies that are in your employee handbook regarding, you know, code of conduct, um, you don't play favorites because A, that can open you up to liability. So those are the consistency side of things. Now, when you're in a startup and you're growing, things change all the time. Um, aside from the fact that, um, you know, when you're growing, you're bringing new team members on, there's new employees coming in, there's new managers coming in. And so, uh, you know, the, the, the inherent nature of a, of a company that's on a growth, um, you know, a growth vector uh, is, can be very unsettling. So one of the things that we kind of talk about is, you know, the difference between making sure that we, we have these core things that we never lose sight of, no matter how big we get, no matter how small we are, no matter what size we are, these things are always constant. And then still maintaining that dynamic DNA to be able to be flexible while you grow, you know, and change different systems and implement different systems. Because the systems you need when you're an owner operator with one employee are substantially different than the systems you need when you have 20 people or you have 70 people and you have multiple locations. So systems evolve, um, you know, processes evolve. And, um, you know, so that that is a good difference to to say that consistency is not always doing the same thing always <laughs> with that, because otherwise it's you run into a who moved my cheese type scenario where the way you've always done it is not the way that's always going to work. Yeah. Um, if I were to kind of try to make that a concise example, I would say something the effect of consistency would be like. You have yellow uniforms. Your marketing's yellow. Your website's yellow. Uh, your your all of your brand placement has this element of this yellow in it. Your you know trucks, your cars, your vans, whatever. <clears throat> That's consistency. 
not to be static with, we change that color once a year, right? Now, different marketing people are going to tell you different things, but you know, let's say a rebrand was necessary for whatever reason, and you chose an ugly mustard yellow because you liked it, and then you realize that you're not marketing to yourself a few years down the road, and you're like, uh, you need to go with something that Mrs. Jones, the 25 to 55-year-old homeowner female with kids and her pets, triggers on. So I'm going to switch that out for mustard. I'm going to go with a pastel blue or something. You can change. So don't be static. Don't stick with the yellow. Go with the blue. But when you go with the blue, make sure everything is consistent. So go back to your website, your trucks and your vans and your collateral, your material and your handouts and make sure that you update that. So that kind of the difference between static and uh, consistent. The other thing that Brandon pointed out that that I really want to touch on for you guys is the HR legal problem that has to do with not being consistent. Um, You can class your employees. So you can have different rule sets for different groups as long as the rule sets are consistent within the group itself. We do this as Service Monster. We have a different rules for developers. We have different rules for marketers. We have different rules for creative. We have different rules for sales and support. And some of it's obvious. Sales and support, they have to be at their desk when they're scheduled to be at their desk. They have to be available to pick up the phone and answer emails and support clients. And so their structured schedule is super duper important. So it's what we measure them on, their KPIs, and their availability. And, you know, uh, it really significantly impacts the team members when somebody like one or two people don't show up on time. Development, you know, a five minute plus or minus five or 10 minute slush on your schedule. No one's going to care. You know, no one cares. You'll, you're getting the work done. Do you have to go for a two hour lunch in the middle of the day to go to handle some family business and then work in an extra hour at night? No one cares. And so they're measured under a different set of rules. So again, that's still being consistent as long as things are documented and understood amongst those class of employees and then that all the people within the class are treated the same. You will run into major legal problems when you start treating people of the same class differently. So little Johnny is a technician, but so is Jimmy. Johnny is great at talking to Mrs. Smith, and you know he goes those upsells, so you're letting him slide on being late or smelling like pot or drinking, you know, coming, showing up, like whatever. And, and, and the other guy, Jimmy's like killing it. She's always showing up on time, but doesn't have those invoices. And you're just going to let that other guy get away with it. Well, the other dude shows up late one time and you yell at him. He's got a legitimate lawsuit, especially if you fired him. Because you were treating the other guy, you were letting him get away with all kinds. Of, well, he helps my margins. So what? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Consistency. Uh, consistency. Yeah. Being consistent. Uh, that's that's going to solve a lot of your legal woes. Oh, man, I feel like we could literally do this for 10 hours <laughs> if we're not careful. <laughs> I know, right? As soon as we talked about, hey, let's talk about some nerdy KPIs and business metrics. And we're like, ooh, we got all fired up. Yeah, <laughs> We covered a lot. We covered a lot of a lot of KPIs. I think that, you know, the, the biggest takeaway is, is that, um, 
there's different KPIs depending on different stages of business. So if you're an owner operator right now and you're feeling really overwhelmed with like, how the heck am I going to track all these KPIs? Just remember that there's different KPIs that your business needs depending on what stage of business growth you're in. So, you know, some things like financials, evergreen KPIs, no matter how small you are, how big you are, these things apply. Um, tracking fixits and callbacks when you have a couple couple crews or one or two crews and, you know, you're the one that's doing the office and the sales and the marketing and going out and helping the guys get started and you're kind of getting in that transition time period. Um don't don't sweat it too much. You can you can wait until you start getting some admin help. And this is, you know, this is really what I kind of try to tell and remind people is as your business grows, your business is going to give you signs that it's time to start delegating more of your responsibilities to other people. And those signs, some people confuse for just stress of being an entrepreneur when they're not really. It's it's your it's symptoms of your business saying, dude, stop trying to do everything. You know, start delegating these things out to other people so that you can get to that next stage of your business growth. And, you know, hiring my first admin, hiring my first production manager, hiring my first salesperson were all game changing hires for me and my company. And then it wasn't me compiling these KPIs together. It was the people on my team putting the KPIs together and just kind of giving me the executive, you know, dashboard view of the business and checking in once a week with them, once a month with them and making sure that things were healthy. So, you know, pick a, I'd say, you know, Joe, maybe you'd agree with this too. Pick, pick a couple KPIs just to kind of get started with, depending on where you're at, if you've never measured anything, because otherwise you, you go to your team and you're like, all right, team. Just listen to the cleaning podcast with Joe and Brandon. We got 10 new KPIs we're going to start doing. We're going to have our dashboard. And then inevitably you fizzle out because it's so much work to compile all the data and put it all up on the board that it stops happening. And then people stop looking at KPIs altogether. Anytime the boss comes in and says, hey, here's a new metric we're going to track. They're like, oh, okay. So just take one single thing and do that consistently until it's you know smooth and everyone expects it and they're paying attention to it before you start adding in too many things to keep an eye on. I, I think that's great. I, putting a cherry on top, I would say that ground yourself in the idea that 50% of service businesses are out of business by year five. That in the cleaning industry, less than 6% are million dollar businesses. Now, I will put big money on the fact that those businesses are tracking their freaking KPIs. <laughs> Here's another little tidbit for you. Currently, as of today, only about 35% of service businesses use a CRM of any kind. Wow. Uh, a good CR. Yeah. Tell me about it. Wow. That's like we, your head. Hit I was head thinking that was going to be a hot, lot higher, man. <laughs> wow. It was 25% when we started in 2003. Whew. It's oh, only gone up 10%. Uh, but I could do a whole show around that and how it's coming. It's because it's coming. Obviously, Service Monster, right? It's going to be my favorite. But the best CRM is the one you use. And when you're looking at this stuff, like Service Monster, we have an incredible amount of reports and KPIs that will save you from having to put this together by hand for you. For 80 bucks, I'm saving you how many hours a month calculating this bullshit? Like if you bought it only for that, it would make sense. 
it's not a service monster pitch. What I'm trying to say is that you should be automating these KPIs that you decide are important for your business one way or the other. I have, I'm a software engineer, so it helps. Like I wrote an app that tracks my specific KPIs, pulling data from my CRM database. Like I get it. Not everybody could do that on a weekend, but um, you know, spreadsheets help. You can do a lot of things with a spreadsheet Um, reports from your CRM or your accounting software help. There are ways that you can do this to reduce the friction. Um, but if you don't do it, you won't be one of those 6%, I guarantee you that. Uh, and you, it's more than likely you're going to get stuck just like Brandon's dad, 250,000, you got one or two employees in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. And then something happens and you find yourself in a bad state. And then your son has to come take it over and grow it to a $10 million business. And then what, what's the psychology of your dad at home going, I ran that business freaking 15 years and he takes it over in like three years and $10 million business. Like, you know, obviously he's going to be hugely proud of you, but what um, introspection uh, potential that had from your father's point of view? Well, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, we've, we've talked about it. His basic, you know, boilerplate response is I never could have done that, you know, never had any interest, never had any desire. I mean, you know, my dad's happily retired. He's, you know, the, the ending for him actually turned out okay. You know, when, when I sold the business, I gave my dad a six figure gift that was not part of our buyout agreement so that, you know, he's set for life and, um, he's good to go, you know, and I rolled, rolled the proceeds from that into my next businesses and, um, you know, and just, uh, going to kind of continue the journey. I'm still young. I got a lot of, a lot of bandwidth in front of me. And so for him, you know, it was, it was amazing to see, of course, he also saw all the ugly stuff behind the scenes when I was trying to figure all this stuff out on my own, you know, the, the converse curled up in the bathtub and feeling <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Or I'm crying on the crying on the couch and my wife's, you know, comforting me in the laundry room floor because yeah. you know, I'm, I'm having panic attacks. So, uh, you know, the journey of, of me trying to figure these systems out on my own, I created every system that I had. And, you know, looking back on a lot of them were terrible, terrible systems <laughs> and like wasted so much time, which is why most entrepreneurs, the second business that they do actually scales way faster because way faster. They, they know it. You know, if I, you know, and I do, I have businesses now that we're able to scale up uh, to, you know, the same size within, you know, a fifth of the time because the systems are already done and the, you know, the knowledge that's there. Um, Warren Buffett says the best investment you can make in, is in yourself. So the education 100%. that you get in your brain on how to have dashboards, understanding KPIs, understanding company culture, understanding growth and, and marketing, those skill sets you get, you never lose those. They are assets on your personal brain balance sheet that you're going to have forever. And so, you know, even, even the, the terrible experiences, um, are assets to you. And don't forget that if you're going through a really, really hard time in your business, just know that this is working capital that you are investing in your brain, and it's going to serve you for many, many, many years to come. So my, my dad's really proud of what what happened with it. He was in awe of it for sure. But, um, you know, he's, he's happily retired though, too. So <laughs> and I didn't want to paint your dad into someone, you know, who tried and failed, right? Uh, there's plenty of people again, who are self-employed out of choice. Don't want to deal with it. 
right. just don't want to deal with employees or the headache or like the stuff that we go through as business owners growing a culture because people are the hardest damn thing. Mm. Like if, ever, you know, you, you're a self-described nerd too. Like if we could build automated systems to do all the shit that people do and still have the same empathy and sympathy to our clients, that's what we'd be doing. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> it's a much better business, but without people, because people are the real treasure. They're the real well, like, I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how many hours a week you put in. If you do 60 or 80 or I hire 10 amazing employees, that's an extra 400 hours a week of horsepower. Right. Like Your hustle is not going to touch that. That's right. That's right. It's not now. And you can spend a lifetime learning all this stuff and then be very wise when you're 60 or 65 or you can learn from those who have done it and or know how to teach it, right? Again, I go back to these coaches and people who have done the things that you want to do. So um, take your shortcuts. Let their mistakes be yours. Now, you'll never learn anything as much as when you get burned yourself. That <laughs> scar will be with you forever and that will be a reminder. Um, and so sometimes lessons don't necessarily stick the same kind of way. Uh, but man, if someone just would have hand you a roadmap and say, follow this roadmap, just clearing the fog of war is worth a lifetime of thought experiments. Mm, I like uh, that. And so I like that expression. Yeah. That's good. Brandon, thank you so much, man. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. My pleasure as well, Joe. It's awesome to awesome to get together and, and geek out over business KPIs and philosophy and homeschooling and so many other things. We touched on a lot. It was it was a blast. Appreciate you. We did, and we will definitely have to uh, bring you back. So again, I will put Brandon's information. I'll have Michael put uh, all of your contact information at the notes on the show. So I would encourage you guys to go check it out. Um, you run the Growth Vault. Yes, that's a free Facebook group. Yeah. Uh, that's part of the Automate Grow Cell program. And then the Conquer group, which is kind of your um, coaching group. It's basically all there. Conquer right now. So the Automate Grow Cell brand is going to be sunsetted. It's just all Conquer. So we, we were good. able to lock down the word mark for the word Conquer. So we're going to leverage it. <laughs> wow. wow. So if you go to, if you go to go.conquer. Uh, now.com. Um, that'll be where you can find out all about what we're working on and uh, maybe apply to come work with us. Love to have you. Brilliant. All right. Very good. Well, thank you so much for your attention, everyone. And until next time, be safe. You've been listening to The Cleaning Podcast. Send all of your cleaning questions to the cleaning podcast at servicemonster.net and be sure to subscribe to the show. Special thanks to our expert today. And remember, if they could clean it themselves, they wouldn't need an expert like you.